Welcome to Crosstown Conversations. This is your host, Jean Nathan. You know, we work to bring you voices of our region as well as the nation and globe. Um, whether it is cultural, environmental, um, urban or political, we work to help you understand what people are talking about. So here goes. I'm here with Rick Fly, who's one of the more talented people in the entire universe, that, or at least in the New Orleans region. And he does a lot of things. So I'm going to let him characterize his creative um, uh, scope. Thank you, Jean. Um, my prime creative scope is that I work with Armando Bazaar Productions. I'm the co-artistic director. Within that company, I am a performing artist. I'm an organizer. Um, I produce things. And uh, so a lot of times I'll appear on stage uh, as either an actor or sometimes a musician. Um, and as part of my work here in New Orleans, I'm also a professor at Nunes Community College where I teach theater and video production. Great. That's, that's, that's quite a list of, uh, of, of focus. Um, you are about to do, a, I think, an extraordinarily interesting uh, series of installations, performances, exhibitions, educational uh, presentations, and extremely important to us because it deals with the environment. And I'm very proud of our creative community because I think we are all over the environmental issue many artists and so i think that you are a part of the movement to really focus people's attention on what's going on with the environment so that we can really generate a lot more intentional work to try to address it not that we can solve it i don't know but who, who knows but i think at least if we try we always have to try i'm an existentialist i believe in trying so tell me about this sunday may 16th on um at the crevasse. Yeah, so the project that we're working on right now is a collaboration between Mondo Bazaar on the Land Memory Bank and Seed Exchange, which is run by Monique Verdan. And the project's called Invisible Rivers. And one of the centerpieces of this project is uh, something that Monique devised and had built called the Float Lab. Um, the Float Lab is a 15 and a half by eight foot pontoon that we've outfitted with these walls that sort of fold and flower down on water to create a 24 by 21 foot stage. And so this float lab is designed to host art exhibitions, conversations, dialogues, dinners, performances on land or in the water. And so we're really excited because with the River House and Cano and Crevasse 22, we're getting the opportunity this weekend, This to we're gonna have an exhibition up called Floating Cities, which shows you images from around the world of people who are utilizing floating technologies to adapt the water. We're gonna have a exhibit called The Return to the Yachtney Shido, which highlights Monique Burdan's photography and a lot of information that's in the book, Return to the Yachtney Shido, that's about Poma migrations um, along the paths of water in South Louisiana. We're also gonna do a bit of a boat blessing have a little bit of a performance, um, a tiny bit of um, kind of talk about where the future of this project's going. And then most importantly, this weekend we'll be doing this community-led design. So we're gonna be inviting people to experience the, the Float Lab, but then to add their ideas to what they feel like the Float Lab can be useful for in the future. Because in addition to it being a piece of infrastructure for our artistic work in this project, Invisible Rivers, 
we're conceiving of the Flow Lab as a piece of community infrastructure. So we're trying to learn how it can be useful to host things for other people in the community as well. That's fantastic. It really is because I think that a lot of people do not really understand how knowledgeable and wise people in their habitats, whatever they are, are about how to respond to the challenges that we have. So I worked on a lot of the planning after Katrina and I was just, I was really astounded at the level of in, in intelligence and information and, and um, uh, perception about what to do in, in, as we deal with environmental challenges that were coming out of the community at, at, at just from residents, period. So I think what you're, what you're doing is enormously but it also sounds like it's gonna be fun. So let me uh, understand it from an sort of entertainment perspective as well as a, an educational and community engagement. So share with me your sense of it as entertainment. Yeah, that's great, Jean. You know, we are such in the beginning stages of even knowing what that entertainment's gonna be, but I can tell you some of the things that are popping in our imagination. Uh, one, always food and music. You know, we collaborate with food musicians. so. I, uh, we're really imagining that the float lab is going to be this place where a lot of music happens. And of course, we're going to devise an original performance that's going to journey with this. So a centerpiece of this always will be a live original performance about the uh, ancestral paths of waterways and the people who have lived here. And that performance is usually going to include, you know, four or five, six bodies, some musicians and some food. And so we'll be devising that over the next six months. We've experimented a little bit already with the entertainment uh, portion of this, where we did um, an event with a studio in the woods down at the 40 Arpent Canal, where we led people through some poetry and some storytelling, um, some viewing the landscape through these transparencies that we gave them. And then, of course, there was the celebration and the boat blessing down by Bayou Bienvenue. So in a way, we're learning and, and, and making up the entertainment portion as we go along. But I can tell you that, that celebration is the word that comes to me, Gene, because I feel like coming out of COVID and especially the artistic, uh, the voice of the artist in relationship to coastal erosion, we hear a lot of sad stories. And so I know we are anxious to definitely be honest and tell the sad stories, but also to bring that sort of joy of celebration that we, we bring here in South Louisiana to our art so that we're also um, keeping our spirits up when we're doing all this hard work around saving the coast and everything else, you know. Uh, it's, it's actually a very, very rich um, collection of, of uh, performance and, and art and, and engagement. So I'm, I'm very thrilled about it because um, as uh, I don't know, you might say the, uh, the, the person who tries to keep Crevasse 22 Riverhouse, which is kind of a mouthful and I'm not sure I don't regret that name, but what it calls attention to is the breach that was in the levee in, in 1922 in the Crevasse, uh, right next to our site, which is a sculpture garden and a museum uh, showing art next to what once was a bio and now is a 45 foot deep lake. Um, so it's a pretty extraordinary place with um, woods next to it and we're gonna be expanding into the woods. So and we've been closed for a year and I can't think of a more exciting way to reopen 
than with what, what you all are doing. So when you came to us and said, can we, uh, of course we said yes, and uh, yeah. we're very happy to be hosting what, what you're doing. Can you give me just a little bit of um, kind of background as to how you and Monique Rodin and Jeff Becker and Manda Bazzaro um, really come, came together and, and why you, for one, are so committed to the issue of our environment? Yeah, thank, I mean, you know, we've all been working together in some form or fashion for, for well over a decade now. I, I can say that, you know, Jeff Becker for a long time was a, a member of Artspot Productions. And I was a part of a production that Artspot Productions led by Kathy Randalls and Sean LaRocca that they did at a studio in the woods called Beneath the Strata Disappearing. Um, that really um, catalyzed uh, work from that moment on 2006, um, a real strong passion. I think it, it, it lit up a passion in all of us as artists to really open our eyes to the environmental degradation that's happening in South Louisiana. Um, and to especially learn to figure out what is our role in that? What is the role of the artist, of the activist in that? So, you know, we collided with Monique around that time. I literally collided into Monique on a bike one day in New Orleans, and that's how <laughs> we met. Um, and so myself and Monique and Jeff and Kathy and Sean and Art Spot Productions and Mondo Bizarro um, and many others had been collaborating on a sort of series of work. So after Beneath the Strata, Mondo and Art Spot joined forces to do Lugaru out in City Park. We took Lugaru around the country. We uh, also then built a project called Cry You One. And Cry You One lasted for about seven years. And again, it went to about 14 places around the country on all five of the Gulf Coast states and had a deep uh, relationship to New Orleans and Southeast Louisiana. And um, Monique has been working on the float lab. And, you know, uh, we've just been kicking around ideas. I'm from, my father's from New Orleans. My people are from um, Gramercy and Convent all the way to Pierre Park. Uh, I spend a lot of times in, in Lake Verrett, a lot of my time in Lake Verrett and Pierre Park in the swamps and a Piro and a canoe. And we just started really getting fascinated by this idea of adaptation and floating. And when Monique just, like Monique does as a very visionary person, she just built the float lab. And, and we really didn't know, you know, her and Joisha Duda from Another Gulf as Possible, they had the idea for the float lab, it was built. And then we were just trying to figure out, well, how do we take that next step with this piece of infrastructure? And so enter Jeff Becker um, into the equation, who is just such a visionary designer, such a visionary person. And we started making drawings and sketches. And then we just said, you know, um, Bondo Bizarro was fortunate enough to get some, some, some national funding and some support for Invisible Rivers, this art project. Let's invest into this piece of infrastructure called the Float Lab and start to figure out how to take it to its, its next level. And so here we find ourselves with, you know, a, a new iteration of what is really ostensibly a long term relationship between Mondo and Monique and Jeff. And to be honest with you, Gene, so many, you know how it works, so many other players who are going to partner or be involved. You know, we've already worked with the studio in the woods. We're working with you all. I mean, in, in some ways, we hope that the project is like a hub and there's many spokes of individuals and partnerships that we feel we can work with. I mean, when we first went to the Riverhouse, you know, the great artist who, you know, Mr. Tannen is like, can you conceive of a way that this could work with my boat project? And we we're like, oh, of course, you know, 
Um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the points is, as if we take the metaphor for the river, is to really highlight the, the like you're saying, the diversity of work that's going on in this city about water, about climate adaptation, about environmental racism. Like, how do we all work together? Um, I think we're much stronger that way than focusing on our own individual projects, you know? I couldn't agree more. And I, I think that that has definitely been one of the outcomes of COVID, where oh, yeah. a lot of arts organizations that were in their you know, isolated uh, corners all this all these years, um, for the first time ever that I know of, really have come together in collaborative initiatives, first of all, to help artists during COVID, but going forward now, the big issue is how do we, how are we going forward? What, what is the, uh, what kind of future collaborations do we see? And obviously one of them. Yeah. What, uh, how, let, let me, let me go to that. So um, what, what were you all doing? Were you kind of conjuring this whole idea during COVID? How did COVID affect your uh, thinking and planning and working? And, and how do you see the future as we come out of COVID? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, Gene, we get we get the news about we we were fortunate to get some funding from the National Theater Project, this NIFA grant, which is really a game changer in the sense that it it is a grant that allowed us to take a dream that I think we would have done for sure. Like we always get it done, but then it became a a, a dream with a little momentum. And so in some weird way, we were getting all this good funding news during one of the most horrible times of our lives. And we were fortunate that Mondo was that we weren't right in the middle of production, you know, because uh, it allowed us just to remember, actually we started by remembering Katrina and saying, you know, we know slowing down and stopping in our bones and reprioritizing something else. And so the first things we were doing was slowing down and making sure our families were taken care of and everyone was safe. And then, yeah, we just started dreaming very slowly during COVID, um, focusing on some other things like organizing locally and regionally and nationally, you know, building some art, but taking care to slow down and to really, in some ways, catch up with uh, life. Because, you know, as artists, we're very busy. Um, so we took it as an opportunity to really dream expansively. And so we were cooking this idea really slowly and we continue to cook it really slowly because one of the lessons I think for, for us during COVID is, I don't know that we're too anxious to get back to that torrent pace that we were at, you know? Um, I think we've learned a lot about taking deep breaths and allowing that breath to influence the art we're gonna make. And the a perfect example of that is that we're really committed to getting people out on water and to allow the floating and the being out on the water. I mean, I'm sure you know how it feels when you get out on a boat, how good that feels. Um, we want to let that feeling um, infect what we make, if, if I could. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, use that word. Because we, wanna, we want the feeling and the pace of the floating, the languidness and the peace that you feel to influence how we build in this project so that it moves at a pace that um, can be trusted by the community and can be useful to people. Um, instead of to rush to make something, um, just to put it up and to meet a deadline. Now we are definitely still gonna have to create structures and move things along a deadline, but that's kind of where we are heading out of COVID is, I feel the world rushing back and I'm not quite sure I'm ready for that pace yet. 
And I'm not quite sure I, I even understand how we grieve so many of the people that we've lost in the city of New Orleans and beyond. So I, I feel like we're all still just trying to figure out how do we re-engage and enter in a, a way that feels um, productive, but also feels safe um, and feels like it honors you know, all that we've been through. That is um, a, a pretty incredible uh, statement. I think that probably captures the process that many others are going through. Maybe not everybody, but I think a lot, because there's certainly not the uh, working assumption that automatically we are just going to go back to the way it was before. There's a lot of discussion about, uh, you know, you just don't return to an old normal. You, you recreate, you create something new. And certainly mm -hmm. during the post-Katrina um, era, it was. I, I wouldn't call it languid by any means. It was, it was. I think we were shocked. We were in shock for a long time, and very uncertain about whether the city was actually going to come back. And then we waited for those signals that said we would, we would be resilient and it would come back. Um, for me, that was the Halloween parade in October in the French Quarter, mm. and I, you know the the marching, uh, bound up refrigerators and the tarp costumes all reassured me that I still had a sense of humor and ability to um, look for the underlying um, creativity and, and richness of our city as a resource to go forward. And I, I feel like that's your statement about how you're going forward is, is very uh, important. And I, I hope a lot of people are, are, are thinking it that way, but I think that may be the case. Um, how, um, how are you reaching out to people? What, how, how do you see people coming out on Sunday? Oh yeah, so what we've been doing is um, reaching out through uh, the, you know, you all um, uh, created a great, Cano created a great press release that we've shared. Uh, we've got a Facebook page going right now. Um, it's a Invisible Rivers, uh, River House, Crevasse 22, and the Float Lab are all part of it. it we've got a little bit, of, so we're pushing invites through Facebook and Instagram. You know, reaching out through our own personal channels, whether it be the newsletters or the email, um, and just talking to people one-on-one -on -one as well, texting and calling, um, and, and stretching the invitation out as wide as we can on that that way. We're wanting people to know as well, um, you know, because some people are saying, I can make it on the 16th. We're, we're going to start pushing, hopefully soon, when we decide upon them, just the dates for all the events that are coming in the future, because what we definitely want people to understand that this is a long-term engagement and we're going to be doing this work over the long haul with you all um, and, and throughout Southeast Louisiana, really. So um, we really want people to come on the 16th. And if you're the type of person that can't make it on the 16th, uh, keep your eye out for the messaging because we're going to keep doing events moving into the fall. So that that is definitely something that we, in, we intend to do um, from here. At, for the next six months. Uh, exactly. And the one thing I wanted to add to what you just said, when I spoke to Monique this morning on just uh, doing some work, um, she mentioned the importance she felt in, in bringing in people uh, from Lower St. Bernard who have not been involved in our art site. So Crevasse 22 Riverhouse, we reach, you know, um, a lot of people who are interested in the arts, a lot of people who live near there all over the whole region actually from Metairie and from the North Shore. But there are folks who uh, are still not aware of, of what's going on there. So she's, she put an emphasis on trying to reach uh, folks, I guess, in the, in the fishing communities. 
I hope that's something that comes uh, to fore because I know the Cano, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans and the um, uh, Taurus Burns Trust uh, that has supported this with the making the uh, property available. Um, we, we really want to see that happen. So I, I hope that um, as you go through all these events that you talk about that we will increasingly you know, folks who don't maybe necessarily go find their way to a museum or to a, uh, an art performance, but um, that will hear about this as something that is meant for them. I tell you what, Gene, another thing that's gonna happen with this float lab, and, and it will happen, um, we are gonna get those people. Um, we're also gonna go to those people. And that's one of the most exciting things about the float lab is it can just get itself on a trailer and we roll it right on down to another community or put it in the water. And I think it's going to take a little bit of, a, um, of an effort to go to them and have them come to us and it'd be a reciprocal relationship. So I'm really excited about um, getting that float lab over to them as well on the water, letting them get on it, see art, hear conversations, have a little food. And then knowing that they can also come and experience the fabulous art that's happened at the River House. I mean, there's so much there in terms of the outdoor sculpture and the inside art and then the potential of the woods. Um, I think. It's going to take a little bit of reciprocity, but that's one of the big goals is that this thing moves and we can go to them as well. I got one last question because we yep. covered for the, uh, for the uh, purpose of uh, the, this particular radio show, and we'll talk more in the future. But right. um, what's on the menu? What's on the menu? Okay, so this weekend we are going to have some corn mock shoe um, coming into the summer. I always like to add a little corn mock shoe. Uh, the summer's uh, just got, you know, in terms of like Cajun and Creole food, it's got a real brightness to it. Um, we will also be having some white beans um, and I'll figure out something that's vegan as well, because I have learned that you got to have all three. So you come in, you're getting some white beans, with sausage, you'll have a, a vegetarian corn mock shoe that's from my great grandmother's recipe. Uh, and we'll have something for everybody to eat there. So it'll be it'll be some great food to drink oh yeah what will we i i've not been focusing on on the drinks um but yeah i don't know what you know what, sure. if you don't mind maybe i'll take a shot at that because we we've been Get providing it. something to drink out there for most of the events that we do and i've been thinking about some kind of a a, a lemonade one that's not and one that is spiked so um sure. I'll, 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 I'll take care of that side how's that i can that's great and i can tell you one thing uh, for those who want to take participate in the there is going to be a boat blessing um, and an honoring of the land that Monique will lead and we're going to have some champagne for that and we'll also have some sparkling cider so there'll be that to drink as well what time uh, will that uh, actually happen the blessing we're, gonna, we're shooting for two at the, the, the two o'clock critical mass area so we'll gather people around the float lab at two be an opportunity to move through the exhibition and the Yakby Shido exhibition to see Bob's family, famous uh, modular home there, the Mod House. And uh, we'll, we'll have the critical mass moment there. So two o'clock is where we'll gather at the float lab, but we're gonna be present all day for people to come in and out and to walk them through it. Great, it, it just, uh, I, I'm really excited about it. And in all honesty, um, bit of a foodie. I love corn mochu, I love white bean. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. Great. Great. Awesome. Uh, thank you, Nick Sly, Monique Fredan, Jeff Becker, Mondo Bizarro, um, all of the people working with you. And I'm really looking forward to this and um, uh, hope uh, I'll see you soon.
All right, thanks, Jean. Appreciate it. All right, so I am. Um, <laughs> this is a. This is fun for me to to be interviewing. Um, I don't know whether to call you my client, my boss, my um, <laughs> my you know general manager at WBOK Radio, where this show airs, of course. Uh, and it's a pleasure because um, recently doing a, um, a little breakfast with Skylar, I learned a lot about her, and um, she's a pretty interesting, pretty interesting woman. And I'm very happy that. Um, I can't be public about this, but she's been nominated for something. And um, uh, I think it was probably approved yesterday. I unfortunately missed the board meeting, but I know that it was, it was, uh, it was a slam dunk. So um, let us talk about, first of all, um, you have uh, moved the station and, yeah. uh, and that is sort of symbolic in a way for um, a new era in the life of a, a radio station that's been around for a while. Yes. It is the urban station in New Orleans. Um, and uh, New Orleans is such an important market. It's, it's such an important market for everybody. Uh, and I know that everybody listens because I have all kinds of people that tune mm -hmm. in for the show and tell me they, they like it and, and, um, and listen to Oliver and Gerard mm -hmm. and everybody else. So, um, However, new things coming. Yes. So tell me about how things are changing for WBOK and um, how you see its future. Um, how is it uh, reshaping? So we recently moved from uh, the building that everyone knew was in Gentilly, right by the fairgrounds, um, which we love that, that neighborhood. It was definitely felt very much like home. Um, but as we have been under you know, the new ownership, um, we've really been trying to move the radio station into the future and make it more sustainable and really make it something that gives back um, to the community that we, we serve. Um, we have moved over to Xavier University. So we are now located um, in a new state-of-the-art studio that we built out. We've been building for uh, the greater part of this year, um, moving over into Xavier South in their communications building. Um, so we're right next to the students um, that are being trained to step into the space that we are trying to make more sustainable. So it's definitely a full circle moment for us um, to move over to one of the most prestigious historically black colleges and universities um, in the country, in the world, um, that is here in New Orleans with WBOK being one of the most you know, prestigious and recognized black radio stations in the country. Um, we are partnering with them, not just in having the space, but also in working with the Mass Comm Department um, to train students, to get them some firsthand experience through internships um, so that they can learn about um, broadcast media, as well as all the things that really make a radio station work, you know, which goes far beyond just the broadcasting piece. So the, the journalism piece of actually going in and doing research um, to get information and, and fact-checking, uh, the public relations piece, the marketing piece, the creative aspect, which is, you know, our, our programming and content creation, and then learning from them because, you know, these 
these students are now in this technology space where they are podcasting and they're creating their own content and using, you know, their phones to produce things that, you know, people like you and I, right, we're going into new studios and learning how to do things. So it's really just a great moment for us um, because we're able to show that the station is growing and moving into a more modern era. And then also being able to solidify that relationship with the university and the students to really give them hands-on education, you know, into this field that they're that they're studying at Xavier. Um, so I, I want to uh, kind of uh, divert the conversation for just a minute, and we'll come back to the fact that you have a, a kind of opening coming up on next uh, Friday, and and that will be kind of the. Um, the coming out party, so to speak, for your new location. But um, uh, who, who is Skylar Williams? Oh, Skylar Williams is so much, especially since I've been at WBOK, I feel like I have this joke. I tell people I am every woman, <laughs> like I am the song. Um, so I grew up in a very small town in Franklin, Louisiana. Um, I lived there for all of my, my formative years. I came to New Orleans uh, to go to Loyola University. But what a lot of people actually don't know about me is my background was in the arts. Um, I've been, a, I'm a musician um, and uh, Thespian was actually my track before I moved to New Orleans. I, I thought that I was gonna be at NYU at the Tisch School for the Arts and I was gonna be this famous Broadway actress. <laughs> and then, you know, things change, right? So I, I moved to New Orleans and I became interested in public relations. And one of my mentors, when I got to Loyola, had had an extensive career in PR. Um, and he was the, the vice president of student affairs. So he introduced me to the program head there. And that's how I started my transition into mass communications. So professionally, I am someone that has definitely um, came from very humble beginnings and built, um, built a career um, and a reputation, I think, in the mass comm field uh, that is one of, you know, a, a, a strong and independent thinker, um, someone who uh, operates with a lot of integrity, right, in terms of um, the things that I want myself to be attached to. Um, also a stickler and, and someone that's got a lot of tenacity. Um, so those are one aspect of my, uh, my personality that's served me well in my career. And then the other side of that, which is more the artistic side of me is, you know, I'm very much an introvert. Um, I like to read, um, I like to study, I like to listen to music and, and be in nature, right? Because I grew up in the country, you know, playing in blackberry uh, brambles for, you know, most of the summer. So I think that uh, for me, um, I am definitely a trailblazer um, in, in thinking outside of the box and finding ways to find commonality with lots of different types of people um, who work in different fields to really and truly create things, create experiences that are meaningful and that give back to, uh, to really what my roots are, you know, which are, you know, being a, a woman born and raised in Louisiana, having to, you know, really dig in and, and do everything I could to, to be successful. And everything I've heard you say uh, definitely explains um, 
your role as general manager at uh, WBOK. I mean, uh, the, it really matches up. Um, so now what I wanna know is uh, when you think about um, you as the listener to mm -hmm. your radio station, what is it you want to hear? And, and, and what, so therefore, um, how are you shaping the programming to address you, as you said, the every woman? So what I want to hear is myself, because when I, one of the things that was so attractive about coming to WBOK, um, one thing I did mention is my, my background is in corporate media. I, I worked for the, the media giants, and I never felt that I, um, as an educated Black woman who came from humble beginnings and um, has a diverse uh, friend group and, and diverse group of colleagues, et cetera, right? I never felt like I was listening to anything that really resonated with me. Nothing that truly spoke to my, to my spirit and my interests. So the beautiful thing about WBOK is that we are speaking to um, every woman and every man that is in New Orleans, right? So we are celebrating- surrounding because your, your signal reaches out. Yes, we reach beyond even just um, New Orleans proper. And then with our stream, you know, we have listeners that are even coming from overseas, you know, in Thailand and wow. Germany, really? um, the Philippines, Australia, uh, because of Wendell's experience um, overseas, we have wow. a lot of British wow. followers, right? Yeah. So- Wendell Pierce is one of your owners, of course. And, yes. uh, and Troy Henry and- um, uh, uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Spears and Jeff yeah. Thomas. And, and, and uh, it's a very impressive, um, we'll come back to them because uh, it's an impressive team. Um, yes. So, uh, so again, what you're listening for? So uh, we're, I'm listening to make sure that we are reflecting the people here and also being a mirror to the people that are our, our listeners that have supported the station for the last 70 years. And they are very diverse and they're also multifaceted you know they're not they're not one-dimensional so when you listen to us from morning to night you're you get the politics that are going on in the city you're getting the the, the concern about education you're getting the cultural aspects which your show you know brings so much of that to what we do here you're getting the community-based focus with people that are not um on the air with us every single day but they're able to connect us to who they are connected to, right? So it, it just creates this really big- um, Big tent. Yes, it does. Because we, we are a mirror for what is around us, but then we amplify that by making it real for the world who just thinks like, oh yeah, New Orleans people just go down there to drink and eat and they have parties all the time. Like, no, we're, we're so much more than that. And it's been really important to me um, that we have women on the air that represent that viewpoint. Because in the past, the station has been very um, heavily driven by the male voice. And so we've incorporated like Dr. Kiki Barnes was on doing sports. She's the athletic director for, at Dillard, um, bringing a different perspective to that sports voice. And then we've got um, Courtney who's on in our midday program and she's a, she's a wife and a mother and an entrepreneur. And so that gives us, again, a different layer. So my goal with the station is to make sure that it is representative of me, but that it also doesn't box itself into only speaking to that one person, right? That yeah. the content that we're providing is accurate, 
that it's open, that even if it's opinionated, that it inspires a dialogue so that we can all learn from each other. But at the end, you know, we see that, you know, we're more the same than we are different. And even in our differences, we can find commonality to make ourselves grow and be better. And I think that when people listen to the station throughout the day, that's really what they hear. You know, like I said, you're going from politics to arts and entertainment and uh, cuisine to investigative reporting to local sports and, and celebrating our high school students. And now that we're partnering with Xavier, we're gonna get that, that voice of the, of the next generation of young people that are really going to set the tone for the next 20 years of communication. And, and I think that's what's um, interesting about your audience because I, uh, you know, I think uh, historically people have gone to WBOK to hear authentic voices mm -hmm. and to hear the truth told. Yes. Um, you know, Paul Boyer, of course, and Lloyd Dennis were the denizens of that. They were they mm -hmm. were so recognized. You wanted to you wanted to hear what they had to say because you yeah. knew they were going to call it like it is. Exactly. And, uh, and it was it was important if you if you wanted to understand what people are thinking in the community, you had to you had to listen to them. And I think that's still true with um, you know, especially in the morning, Oliver mm -hmm. and Gerard. And really, I don't get to listen as much during the day as I'd like to, so I could you can probably uh, speak more to some of your other uh, programs, but uh, I know that people come to the station to learn something. Um, I also think you have your older listeners who again have been with you forever. forever. I think you're also, as you said, picking up the younger people for whom there really aren't a lot of alternatives um, on radio in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, I know that they're listening to podcasts too. So I know that, that that's in our future is that we're gonna really um, want to be making sure that our folks get to listen to us on podcasts. I know I'm trying to figure that out. I have young people trying to tell me how to do that. I don't know. Hey, and it's so funny, right? Because I always say, you know, radio had the original podcasting because, you know, our exactly. least, our least blocks are just that they're podcasts. And so, yeah. you know, the soap operas, all of those programs from the forties the and fifties, those are the original podcasts. So, yeah, right. you know, you're, we're just able to do them now with a little bit less equipment. You know, you can you can do it from your phone, but it's amazing to see the transition and to now be able to have those young people come in and teach us as we teach them because they still need to understand the fundamentals of creating good content. Right. Right. Well, I have a young guy coming on uh, right now to work with me that I'm excited about because he's really excited about doing it. And, and he is totally into all the things that you were talking about, the marketing, the messaging and um, looking at the trends in radio and, mm -hmm. and how we can really uh, uh, deliver more for um, the people of the city. So um, give me give me a sense of how you feel uh, New Orleans is is moving and and and, and talk about that intersection, if, if you will, between mm -hmm. the station and the city going forward. So obviously during the pandemic, uh, during COVID, it has been a very um, difficult time. And I, I, I imagine that while you probably had less advertising dollars to work with, on the other hand, you had a little bit more audience maybe of people who were yes. coming to work from home. And yes. so, so that must have resulted in some exposure to people who generally were not necessarily listening. Uh, and yet there's gonna be even more people going forward because um, we're gonna be trying to figure out how exactly. to live in a new era. It's not gonna go back. It's gonna yeah. go forward. Yeah. Um, I think that 
I think New Orleans is, I always feel like New Orleans is on the verge of even more greatness than, than she already has achieved. Um, I think it's interesting in the pandemic because we found that a lot of people have come in to New Orleans and moved who were able to work remotely, right? And especially in the neighborhood where we were by the fairgrounds, we really would see that there were all of these, you know, I hate to call them transplants, right? But to see all of these different- newbies. We call them newbies. Newbies. Yeah, new, but they are so interested in our culture. Yes, um, they, they, they gobble it up. Yeah. And we used to have a program on that would bridge the gap between the newbies and old New Orleans, right? And so I think that as New Orleans continues to move forward, it's important that we, because New Orleans has always been so tight in, in terms of self, holding on to the holding on to the culture that it has um, and making sure that it doesn't really change. And I feel like there is some change that's happening that that cannot really be avoided. I think that the way that we're helping to support the change and the change that's going on in the city is educating the new people about what what are these customs like? What are they for? Who? Why do people go to Dookie Chase? You know, why why is there a, a marketable rights trail outside of Dookie Chase? Why is this significant? We're educating people, which means that now we've got even more people to tell the story that keeps the history alive while we move into the next phase of the growth of New Orleans, you know, and, and keeps our city sustainable. You know, one of my very first experiences in New Orleans, literally, maybe the third meeting I ever had was with a Russell Castle Haley mm -hmm. at Dookie Chase mm. where her mother was a waitress and who served us wow. as I'm as, as I enticed Aretha to become the head of the New Orleans campaign for the Democratic candidate at the time George McGovern. Mm -hmm. I came here as the state coordinator you know, the outside mm -hmm. state coordinator mm -hmm. to, to the state. And um, I met with people like, um, you know, Lola Zeli and um, uh, Nils Douglas and folks like that. And, and, and they were kind of, um, you know, looking at me as this kind of smart aleck from, from the East. Said, <laughs> um, you need to go talk to Aretha Castle Haley. Mm -hmm. Okay, so of course I did. And we became, um, friends forever. I, I was uh, brokenhearted when she died young. I really was because she was an incredible woman. And I worked with her on Dorothy May's campaign um, after Dorothy May um, tried to open up the Mardi Gras, uh, which mm -hmm. was a difficult election for her. And I worked on the media, but um, we were at Ducky Chase. That was one of my actually first places. And I live blocks from it. So uh, it is mm -hmm. one of my go-to places, especially when I'm sick, I call and say, I used to say, Leah, I need some chicken soup. Right. <laughs> up to the back door and pick up my chicken soup. And I still go there for, for that uh, because it's- And the food is still so good. I went there for, oh, um, for the an event last week and I was just like, I, I mean, it still tastes like she's cooking food. It's so good. And then I'm, I'm sitting sure in the there. People in her family are going to actually also introduce things just like at Dizzy's. I know they're going to bring yes. things in, in addition to keeping uh, the traditions alive too. Yes. What, um, how, how do you feel 
I started to get back to that question of the city and mm -hmm. the intersection. So, so what's your sense of, of New Orleans, in addition to the issue of getting these new folks in, this is definitely a factor. And I, I know some people have uh, concerns about it. It definitely mm -hmm. is, is a challenge where it's displacing people. Yes. And that is a very serious uh, issue that has to be addressed. But at the same time, it's also bringing new energy and, uh, and, and what I would call innovation. There's always mm -hmm. a need to be innovative. So we've created so many music forms in New Orleans. It, it, it's not just jazz. It's right. all kinds of R&B, it's funk, it's uh, you know, hip hop, right. bounce. bounce, and now sissy bounce, and who knows yeah. what's next. So I, I know that this is something that, again, you try to represent on the station. So could, tell me how you feel about New Orleans is it's going to come out of the pandemic and what we're going to look like um, six months or a year from now. I think that we're going to come out very strong. Um, I think we can already see, like if you go down to the French Quarter, if you've been down there in the last month, um, it is very busy. So I think that we're going to come out stronger than we were before because one, I think that we've done a good job in terms of putting in safety measures um, the residents have, we have, you know, we've been very vigilant about taking care of our neighbors through this whole thing. Um, and so I think that that comes across when people visit, you know, they see that there is a, there's a different type of concern for your fellow man when you get to New Orleans. And I think that that draws them in even more to want to be here. So I think our tourism, I know we were so many people were concerned about our tourism industry and our hospitality industry being hit so hard by the pandemic. I think that that's going to come back. I think it's already coming back. Um, but I also think that there are going to be some other types of businesses that are going to invest here, which is good for our residents. Um, I think that when people come from other places, it creates a different level of competition, which means that there are companies that may be offering a, a more a better wage you know, for people that are here that can make their quality of life better. So I think what I think is that it's gonna kind of put our feet to the fire in New Orleans, right? Because you've got people coming from somewhere else with new ideas, they're being innovative and we're trying to be innovative to attract those things and those dollars. So we've got to invest in our most valuable resource which is our people and our culture here. So I think we're gonna we're getting to the point where it's definitely a, a put up or shut up. You know, we're we're creating this great environment for people to come in and visit and leave, right? But in order for us to continue to be okay and continue to grow, we gotta keep them here too. We gotta keep them here, and we've gotta we make sure that our home. residents don't leave. Yeah. You know, we we, we, I mean, have to, and we have to make it easier for people who are here to stay. I, to I stay. do. Um, I quite frankly, I freak out when someone tells me, and I have three people who've been working for me, two of whom are moving to Colorado. And I'm, I've been in Colorado, nice mountains, but for God's sake, I mean, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to be involved in culture, which most of the people who work with my nonprofit uh, are, are interested in culture. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't see Colorado pretty, pretty mountains. Get on the horse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, oh, the, uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, your owners. Again, mm -hmm. very interesting collection of pretty powerful guys. Yes. Foods. No, uh, Wendell <laughs> is, of course, a phenomenal actor, but so much more. He is a very 
full personality and mm-hmm. uh, reflects his origins in New Orleans, but also the experience he's having all over the world uh, in his productions, both uh, theatrical as well as in, in film and uh, television. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I mean, um, Troy Henry is a businessman, pure and simple. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's been very, even though he has a political side and he's he's been in politics but primarily he's really a very strong businessman mm-hmm. cleveland spears probably has one of the um most successful black owned marketing companies mm-hmm. in the city I, I have to assume looking at his client client list mm-hmm. um, online <laughs> i mean it's pretty much pretty, <laughs> pretty robust pretty so um t- tell me about working with these three guys you really you have to be a strong woman to work with them because there's, there's yeah. no <laughs> They are all so successful in their own rights. I will say I've learned a lot working with all of them. They they bring each bring something different to the table. Um, Wendell is just incomparable in terms of his knowledge of art and culture here and beyond. Um, you know, just being in the room with him and talking with him is is just it's such a privilege. And I, I've really enjoyed um, the things that he's brought to the table and the, the connections that he has, you know, the rooms that I've been able to be in um, with Wendell have, have just been, I'm always like, what, you know, these people? So, you know, there's that part, but then also all three of them are new, sons of New Orleans and Jeff Thomas is one of the other owners. Um, they grew up here. Well, I didn't realize Jeff was actually also an owner. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. so Jeff's a partner and, um, they were all listeners of the radio station, which is why they wanted to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all have very strong personalities. Um, I, I look at it sometimes um, and I sit back and I'm just like, okay, this is, a, this is always, an, it's always an interesting moment um, because they, their personalities are very strong. They're all very driven um, and they all have a shared goal, but also different goals and different ways about going about their business. So it's taught me to really appreciate the different perspectives that they all had and the way that they're able to collaborate with each other to make this thing work, right? But also for me, you know, right, to have to to come in and to know I can be firm in some of the things that are important to me to to really dig in about, um, even if we may disagree in the way to approach something, because I bring a different perspective to things as well. You you have such a heavy and long-term broadcast experience, Mm -hmm. um, and and that's different, radio broadcast, and and that's uh, different from uh, what they're bringing to the table. But um, it it really does make for all together, including you and them, a very powerful team. And I think the most important thing is that you're all New Orleans-based. The ownership yes. previously was out of town, and it was a it was a respectable, very respectable professional ownership. But to have New Orleans people at the helm, I think, is um, just great, and it's going to be very important for yes. shaping, you know, the character and the personality of the station in relation. Yeah, and they keep us on our toes in the building too, because they are all so ingrained in what is going on in the city on a day-to-day basis, whether that is, you know, in, you know, the news of what's going on, you know, as you know, Troy's working on his, uh, his venture to redevelop Jazzland. So they keep us abreast of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it pushes us to make sure that we're constantly reporting on everything that's going on. And so again, being unbiased, right? Like we have to be objective. Um, 
but then also like with Cleveland, with, with his event experience, or even with his uh, public relations experience and his clientele, um, being able to show that there is value in black media, even though we may be um, the quote unquote small guys, right? In comparison to the other larger media companies in the market, for them to be able to use their respective platforms to really communicate the value of this audience and thus the value of the voice that the radio station has with that audience. So they all have their own different interests and ways of doing things, but it always comes back to what is best for the people that we're serving and how can we better serve them and reach them? And then also how do we command the respect that we should have? And then it goes into this larger right narrative and story of what's happening nationwide with you know demanding equity like you know we we've we've talked so many times about the companies that these large corporations that will come to us and ask us like hey we want to talk to your audience but we want to give you pennies on the dollar right it's like well you you see the value because you want to talk to the listener but you don't want to make the investment that would be equitable to get what you would not get if you went somewhere else. So that was actually going to be my next question is, is that um, I know that uh, not being a clear channel mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, one of the uh, stations that um, has a, a bigger audience, it has to be a challenge to, to secure the advertising dollars that you need to do what you do. What you do. And I think there's been a, a very clear cut, long history of black media, not just um, uh, radio, but uh, print as well, that has had to struggle to get the um, uh, advertising that you need. So um, I'm curious to hear, uh, and, and I'm kind of getting close to uh, the end of my time frame for uh, what I, the, the show, but um, I'm, I'm curious to hear just kind of a, a, a headline, you might say, or a summary. Um, how are you approaching the issue of getting the resources that you need to do what you're trying to do. Yeah, so we've taken a, a I guess a three three prong approach to it. So the the partners, the Equity Media Partners have created the Black Media Coalition um, where they've partnered with other black owned media in New Orleans um, with uh, the New Orleans Tribune or with the Tribune, with the Data News Weekly um, and other black owned media to come together as a collective to have a seat at the table and say, you know, this is what we offer, this is what we deserve, and to really start those conversations to put some pressure on these companies to make them make the investments that are equitable to keep to keep these these important publications afloat. Um, we're also partnered with the National Association of Black-Owned Broadcasters. I've been um, leading that effort, which is a group of broadcasters nationwide, where we've targeted um, large companies like General Motors, Procter & Gamble, uh, Toyota. We've got some other things in the work. Again, where we're going at it basically as a co-op to say like, no, this is what we bring to the table. Um, you know that we're smaller. We may not have the same numbers as your, your iHearts, your other large media companies, but we've got this niche audience that is extremely loyal and they're not listening to anyone else. They're getting their news from here and you wanna talk to them and they are valuable, they are educated, they have disposable income, all of these things. And then not just asking them to invest dollars with with these media companies, but to also create larger programs, which is what we've done like with Rouse's and Intergy, 
where we're tying our goals into their CSR initiatives so that they're making a intentional effort, right? To not just give scholarship, but like with Rouse, as we discussed, ways that they could educate people about the supply chain. How do I get my how do I get my product in Rouse's? Um, I'm a minority business owner. I have a seasoning brand. How do I get this in the store? And putting that pressure on them to do that. So we're looking at it from different ways. We've been partnering with other black media companies and really operating as one to create this very clear message that we're here and we're important and we're not going to take the short end of the stick. You know, you're, you're going to do business with us the same way you do with, with the big guys. I, I, um, I, I, I know that you're going to make that work. I know mm-hmm. it's, it's hard. I know it's not, it's not easy. Um, I, I've, I've had my own experience with um, trying to get advertisers on my program. Mm-hmm. And I um, uh, also am always amazed when I uh, am at meetings around town and, and somebody at that meeting will recognize my voice and say, you know, oh, you must be that Gene Nathan who's on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say, wow, okay. So, you know, people are listening. Yes. You know, it's it's um it's an important mission that you're on. I congratulate you on it. I wish you all the luck in the world. I'm I'm you know blown away by uh, you and uh, the voices on the station now and and your owners. So um, I hope that the your little um, sort of uh, a coming out party mm-hmm. uh, next Friday. I know there'll be some interesting folks there. I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> But I, I'm sure that because of where you are now at Xavier, um, you're going to be much more sort of open to people coming to visit. And I, yes. um, I will continue. I'll come back into the station now that I've had my vaccinations and I look forward to uh, recording from there. I've been recording on Zoom like this for a while. Um, Skylar Williams, uh, terrific gal. And uh, I'm happy to uh, be able to work with you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for making time for us. Thank you. All right. This is Jean Nathan, your host for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK.